Section 14 of The Bigham's Fortune by Jules Verne. Translated by W. H. G. Kingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 Clearing for Action. Although the danger was no longer imminent, it was serious. Max communicated to Dr. Saracen and his friends all that he knew of Herr Schultz's preparations and described his engines of destruction. On the next day, the Council of Defense, in which he took a principal part, occupied itself with discussing a plan of resistance and preparing to put it into execution. In all this, Max was well seconded by Otto, whom he found altered in character and much improved. No one knew the details of the resolutions passed. The general principles alone were regularly communicated to the press. It was not difficult to trace in them the practical hand of Max. In preparing for defense, said the townsfolk, the great thing is to know the strength of the enemy and adapt the system of resistance to that strength. No doubt, Herr Schultz's cannon are formidable, but it is better to have to face these guns, of which we know the number, caliber, range, and effect, than to have to combat unknown engines. It was decided to prevent the investment of the town, either by land or sea. How this was best to be done was a question actively discussed by the council, and the day on which a placard announced that this problem was solved, no one doubted it. The citizens hastened en masse to execute the undertaking. No tasks were despised which could contribute to the work of defense. Men of all ages and of every position in life became simple laborers on this occasion, and everything went on rapidly and cheerfully. Provisions sufficient for two years were stored in the town. Coal and iron also were brought in considerable quantities. The iron being requisite for manufacturing arms of all sorts, and the coal absolutely necessary, both for warmth and for fuel to work the various warlike engines it was intended to employ. In addition to the heaps of iron and coal, could be seen gigantic piles, composed of sacks of flour and quarters of smoked meat, stacks of cheeses, mountains of preserved and dried vegetables, all stored in the marketplaces. Numbers of sheep and cattle were also enclosed in the beautiful gardens of the town. When the decree appeared for the mobilization of all men able to carry arms, the enthusiasm with which it was received testified to the excellent disposition of these soldier citizens, plainly dressed in woolen shirts, cloth trousers, and half boots, strong leather caps, and armed with murder rifles. They drilled every day in the avenues. Gangs of coolies banked up earth, dug trenches, raised entrenchments, and redoubts at every favorable point. The casting of guns had been commenced and pushed on with activity, for the numerous smoke furnaces in the city were easily transformed into casting furnaces. Max was indefatigable in all this. He was here, there, and everywhere in the thick of all the work. 
did some theoretical or practical difficulty arise, he could immediately solve it. If necessary, he turned up his sleeves and gave a practical definition. His authority was always accepted without a murmur, and his orders punctually attended to. Next to him, Otto did his best. Although at first he had thought of ornamenting his uniform with gold lace, he soon gave up the idea, seeing that to set a good example to others, he must be content to do the duty of a simple soldier. He therefore took his place in the battalion assigned to him and conducted himself like a model soldier. To those who at first attempted to pity him, he replied, "'Everyone according to his merits. Perhaps I should not have been able to command. The least I can do is to learn to obey.' A report, which turned out to be false, gave a still more lively impulse to the works of defense. Herr Schultz, it was said, was negotiating with some maritime company for the transport of his cannon. From that time, these sort of hoaxes were the order of the day. Now it was that the Schultz fleet was off the coast of Frankville, and now that the Sacramento Railway had been cut by Uhlans, who had apparently dropped from the clouds. But all these rumors, which were immediately contradicted, were invented by the correspondence of newspapers, hard up for matter to fill their dispatches, their object being to sustain the curiosity of their readers. The truth was that Stalstadt did not give the least sign of life. This perfect quietude, although it left Max ample time to complete his preparations, caused him a good deal of uneasiness in his rare moments of leisure. Is it possible that the ruffian has changed his tactics and is preparing some new mode of attack? He thought. However, the plans for checking the advance of the enemy's ships and preventing the investment of the town promised to answer well, and Max redoubled his exertions. His sole pleasure and only rest after a hard day's work was the short hour which he passed every evening in Madame Saracen's drawing-room. From the first, the doctor had stipulated that he should always come and dine at his house, unless he was prevented by another engagement. But by some singular circumstance, no other invitation enticing enough to make Max give up this privilege had as yet presented itself. The everlasting game of chess between the doctor and Colonel Hendon could not have been sufficiently interesting to explain the punctuality with which he presented himself every day at the door of the mansion. We are therefore compelled to believe that there was another attraction for Max, and we might perhaps have suspected its nature, although assuredly he did not as yet suspected himself, had we observed the interest which he took in the conversations between himself, Madame Saracen, and Mademoiselle Jeanette, when they were all three seated near the large table, at which the two ladies were working at what might be necessary for future service in the ambulances. "'Will these new steel bolts be better than those of which you showed us a drawing?' asked Jeanette." who was interested in everything connected with the defense. "'No doubt about it, mademoiselle,' replied Max. "'Oh, I'm very glad of that. 
But how much trouble and research is represented by the smallest industrial particular? You told me that 500 fresh yards of the trench were dug yesterday. That is a great deal, is it not? Indeed, no, it is not nearly enough. At that rate, we shall not have finished the enclosure at the end of a month. I should much like to see it done, and these horrible Schultz people arriving. Men are very fortunate in being able to work and make themselves useful. Waiting is never so trying for them as for us, who are of no use. Of no use, exclaimed Max, usually so calm. No use. And for whom do you think do these brave men, who have left everything to become soldiers? For whom do they work, if not to secure the safety and happiness of their mothers, their wives, and those whom they hope may become their wives? From whence comes their ardor, if not from you? And to what would you trace this readiness to sacrifice themselves, if not— Here Max got rather confused and stopped— Mademoiselle Jeanette did not urge him, and good Madame Saracen herself was obliged to close the discussion by saying to the young man that a love of duty was doubtless sufficient to explain the zeal of the greater number. And when Max, at the call of the inexorable duty, tore himself away from this pleasant talk in order to finish a plan or an estimate, he carried with him the invincible determination to save Frankville and its inhabitants. Little could he conjecture what was about to happen, and yet it was but the inevitable result of a state of things so utterly unnatural as this concentration of all power in a single person, which was the fundamental principle in the city of steel. End of section 14.